Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 103 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show helping you all, uh, run, all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. You know, I have gone 103 episodes <laughs> screwing that up. <laughs> no, we, we've had a few. We've had a few, but they've been very, very minor. Oh, goodness. I, I think that uh, overall, because I've, I've done it now Three times, mm-hmm. I think. I did it the one show that you couldn't make. Yeah. I did it another show because you didn't have your show sheet up in time. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think the other time it was just I snuck in and did it. Like, I, I got in under the wire to do it. And cool. you were rude. Because <laughs> I made you answer. But, uh, no, no, I think it's been 103. To- Next week's our anniversary. Next week is our anniversary. You believe that? What is it? 52 times 2, that's 104. That's two years of stuff. Two years of doing this. Does it feel like two years? You know, that's to, that's for next week. That is yeah. for next week. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, is for yeah. next we'll week. Str- this str- week, strut though. down memory lane is for next week. Yeah, we will totally strut down memory lane next week. So what's week. this week? Uh, this is an episode about maps. Uh, this is an episode about environmental storytelling. This is an episode about maps that tell a story. This is an episode about environmental storytelling <laughs> using maps. This is a, a map is a particular location whether that location is as big as a galaxy like a street corner or anything like that it's about the position and points of interest and navigation of that space see environmental storytelling is the art of telling a story indirectly through the environment now this is done by placing evidence of the story unfolding in the environment but allowing that story to be alluded to rather than explicitly stated this 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 is this is how we did the show sheet. This is exactly how we did the show <laughs> how sheet. How the hell are we going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try and make this work. So, how do these things go together then? So, what what we've got two topics going kind of side by side, but yeah. we're not doing two topics. We're doing one topic. Yeah. So, regardless, maps are a picture of the environment, mm-hmm. whether it is galactic scale uh, or, or or universe scale like Battletech, where you've got the inner sphere split amongst all the houses and the, you know, uh, the free regions beyond that, and you're defining it with just literally dots and colors, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Lady Blackbird, which does it with even less than that, kind of ominous clouds and floating rocks defining where you're coming from and going to, to small tactical environments where, like, you know, your classic D&D, here is your dungeon, or even just a bar. Like, mm-hmm. here's an inn, you know, or or your Savage World, you know, uh, high-tech games where you need to see effectively the square footage of of the uh ruined city yeah sure you know um but regardless there are levels of details that are in that that are not necessarily as important as people think yeah yeah exactly i mean with 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 a lot of maps you can get hyper granular you can get down to every last rock and tree and you know scrap of paper cluttered into some corner somewhere and stuff that but um you know i think that the the biggest thing about you know especially for creating your own maps don't overthink it um as long as the map is conveying the specific data it was intended for it's detailed enough you know if you if if you're say like a regional map of uh you know of your your kingdom in your D&D game mm-hmm. if it shows town here town here castle here roads then that's probably detailed enough 
you know. True, true. Um, I agree with that. I would say, you know, don't, don't, don't sweat having to have every last thing chronicled on there. However, the more detailed your map is, the more details those those are going to be. Uh, the more important those details are going to become to your viewer. Agreed. Um, Agreed. I completely agree with that. So what it, what it can what it does is it creates information overload. Um, so if you're only trying to convey basic information, you almost don't want to put every last rock, tree, and stick in there. You know. Right, right, and I, I tend to believe that it needs to be something consistent with your pre-existing world building. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you're, if you're, because it's easy to grab assets off of whatever tool you're using and throw them in because they look good, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean you're taking the time to build the world. Right. You're right. just throwing things on the map, and if you're just literally throwing things on the map, you are not world building. Mm-hmm. You are not letting it be part of the narrative. Um so you have to be careful about where things are being placed. I mean, the you know, you, you, at at a macro level, you may have a castle that's right outside the village that the players are are, are going to that got sacked by goblins. Why is that village getting sacked by goblins if it's literally right next to the castle? Yeah, exactly. Like, where exactly. are these goblins coming from to raid this little village? And why isn't this village important to the castle? And I mean, there there might be a really interesting answer to that question, but by and large, on its face, unless you do have a, like a real good twist for why that's the case, it, it's it's sloppy, you know. Yeah. And 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 I'm I'm gonna have to say it is is that there's two things that always come up. Um, one is that uh, you should try and keep your map to a. It, to what is necessary to the to to push the narrative and help with the description, mm-hmm. not overdo that. But if you can literally do what a treasure map does, which is show the points of interest that navigate the story, show the direction that needs to be headed, and give a destination, it's clear. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, if you can translate that to all of your maps, so that everything else that goes on that is literally something. That is there for flavor, not a distraction, not to draw them into a whole other thing, mm-hmm. but is there for flavor. You've accomplished your map's goal. Beyond that, be prepared that anything else you add in is technically part of your narrative. Yeah. It's something your players are going to look at. So at times, you may not need a map to convey what you're doing. For instance, if literally your players are going to do a scene at a a duke's home, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to do a map to show the Duke's home. Literally, grab a still image off the internet of something that looks like a palace. Doctor it if you need to, or or tweak it, or change the colors, or whatever. But a good 2D picture slash image slash, you know, you could even grab just an image of of an existing French castle, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or a painting even, and say... You know, and 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 say that it's one of the paintings in his home. You know, but it's of the of, of the castle, and that way they're getting an image and a feeling, but it's not rote narrative, right, and they understand right. that. I think, um, and and I think this is this is definitely something we've we've put into practice, um, especially you know in this this digital time right now mm-hmm. when we're we're using uh, Foundry VTT a lot. Uh, is uh, I actually started with the practice of of using those um, establishing shots is what kind of what I call them right, where, right. where you're just using a, a still image as a background um, and not doing a full on map. Um, and I, I remember like I think it was Sean at one point was digging through some stuff and he's like, well, I, I need a I need a map of 
of like a, a tavern. And I'm like, is there going to be combat in the tavern? It's like, well, no, but you know, you guys should know where you are. And I'm like, then just do a picture. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, the, the thing is, is that tactical maps have their place. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really great. Uh, but they kind of, from a meta role-playing stance, um, indicate to your players that there's probably going to be combat here because you're literally putting them into a tactical headspace. And one of the things that I found was interesting was, I was reading about this, um, is one of the things that if you if you have a hard time finding an image, but you do have a map mm-hmm. um, that maybe another person is being, that it's used that really does a good job of just showing off the area and kind of, it's the image that inspired you to do the scene that way. Mm-hmm. Remove the grid. Yeah. If your yeah. players don't see a grid, hexer or, or otherwise, um, they take the, it removes tactically right out of their minds. Well, now how, they're how just, far is it from here to there? It's away. Yeah. So now they're like, oh, it's it's not a tactical map. There's no grid. Mm-hmm. And and I can see everything. Okay. Cool. All right. So yeah. So now I'm moving through the space differently. Mm-hmm. I have a different mind frame, and using that as a as a way to break between this is art. And this is a tactical get. We're, we're going. We're doing initiative. Yes, yes. It it changes the entire mood of the scene. And I mean, arguably too, your 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 method of doing that, where you just remove the grid from a, from a regular tactical map, is great because if it does transition into combat, you can literally just slap the grid right back on it. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um. And and then bam, it transitions right back into into initiative phase. And... Yeah. Because there's so many beautiful pieces of artwork out there that artists have created and you can definitely utilize in your your stories and you can work with and patreons who who have not only built tactical maps but also just general maps mm-hmm. and map assets that are fantastic there's no reason not to use those you don't have to be an artist to step into those also keep this in mind for games where the map is being created as the story progresses. Mm-hmm. Powered by the Apocalypse is really good for this because most of the games in Powered by the Apocalypse, whether it be um, City of Mist uh, or uh, what we were talking about the other night. Uh, Dungeon um, World. Yeah. Um, um, uh, uh, or Apillion. Apillion does um, this. Yeah. So you start with a very blank canvas and then you're filling things in. And in those types of things, you may want to even have your map creator open and displaying that to the players so that you can put those things in yeah. with those live assets. There was a um, uh, a Let's Play mm-hmm. um, actually done by the creator, Melissa, of mm-hmm. of Apillion that you and I were watching yep. and we were kind of studying up for the uh, for the last show. And that's exactly what she did. She mm-hmm. had, she had a um, it was some some sort of a web app that had kind of a group yeah um, thing in there, and everybody was logged into the site, so they were all seeing it and they were all able to draw on it, which was great. So as they were adding their own locations, she was like, "Okay, well, is it is it up here?" And they were like, "Yeah, it's." And they they would just pencil in the area mm-hmm. right on the map. Yeah, I, I love those those kind of collabs because that helps because it it not only enforces the requirements of a good map, mm-hmm. but it also allows for that expansion. And I think in in a lot of games, I'm not even saying that you, you have to use this in Powered by the Apocalypse. There's nothing to say that you couldn't do the same thing in a D&D game sure. with your character backgrounds. You know, in your session zero, where you're getting to know people, 
make a map that kind of shows that off. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a really neat article that I read just before the show. I was I was kind of going through things about maps where uh, a guy had done a session zero that started everyone uh, with a commander. Okay. And uh, the conversation was like he needed them to go do some things, uh, but he want he he likes to get to know his team uh, ahead of time, so he has a good feel for uh, for how they're going to interact with each other. So he he brought out some wine. He sat down with them and rolled out a map and said, "So where are you from?" And the group just started. You know, he goes because nothing's ever filled in on these things. Is they're all tactical, like we. And he explained the mountains and the hills uh-huh. and the cities that were important and the guard areas. So he's explaining the map to the players and the world through gameplay. Sure, sure, sure. But then said, "So where are you from?" And they literally started filling in their tiny villages and oh, stuff. That's and cool. just like the just like the DM, the NPC was, oh, I was unaware that there were anybody up there. I thought that was only farming villages in that area. Isn't there a water wheel just north of there or, or, or a dam? And then the players, yeah, yeah, there used to be. Unfortunately, it fell down in the, the floods of the, you know, the great mm-hmm. of, of last season. He goes, oh, those were pretty bad. We ended up washing out the bridge here. And he literally scratched on the map where a bridge was that was washed out. Oh, that's, pre- that's beautiful. So he, they did world building in session zero. Yeah. And then did a milk run right after it. That's that's and it's so great to have like role played their map their map mm-hmm. building. That's mm-hmm. that's just and he said he directly took it from Powered by the Apocalypse games mm-hmm. into his D and D games. Like there's no reason not to do there's, those. Yeah, things. there's no reason not to. I mean, it's it's yeah. kind of it's kind of a game a game mechanic in Powered by the Apocalypse. So there's nothing stopping you from adding that to D and D. Right. Absolutely. Right. So. No, I, I, I love that. Um, and and I, I think the other the other big thing about the whole map building thing, co- collaborative map building, yes, is that, um, I mean it it can cause some like logical inconsistencies. So it's not sometimes it's it's not as carefully done as like a carefully curated map that you know if you're if you're building your own world and everything like that. But but it's very important to like yes and everybody, um. And just ask about the inconsistencies, you know, like, like you said, like, oh, I wasn't aware there were any, you know, uh, uh, anything but, but, uh, uh, farming villages up there and just, just pose that to them. Don't say, no, there aren't, you know, there isn't a temple to the thunder God up there. Right. Just be like, oh, I wasn't aware there was a temple to the thunder God up there. Why do you suppose that got built in that particular location? Yeah. And just wait for the answer. You know, your players will come up with some amazing justifications for the things that they want to put in there and write half of the story for you. Yeah. And and that's that. I mean, we've talked about not writing yourself into a extended storyline that, you know, is going to get derailed, mm-hmm. that just having some general points about what's going on in the world and who the BBEG is for the day. Yeah. You know, and moving from there, as long as they've got motivations, they can do whatever. Mm-hmm. The world can be whatever it needs to be. And you never know what the players will open up in the Pandora's box of their words. Yeah. And yeah, that's absolutely. the beauty of it. Absolutely. Um, But at the same time, we're not saying that this should substitute your narration. Right, right. We're not saying that it's... And this is kind of my whole thing. And it, it was one of the things that I talked about. And When maps go too far. <laughs> yeah. So... The big problem that I have is when maps get too detailed, mm-hmm. when you add too much and you're letting it substitute your narrative 
or that you've gone outright and expected your players to notice things on your map, especially tactical maps. Oh, yeah. yeah and, yeah. you know, if they didn't go to this area, and it, and I mean, I, I, I'll say it steps back to some of the original D&D, where you're just running dungeons, mm-hmm. and you're expecting them to look into every nook and cranny and find secret things, but if they don't find them, they don't find them. Right. I mean, you know, you know there, there is that, that, that drive where you kind of want that, that vast open world where players are going to discover their own, mm-hmm. their own destinies, and they're going to, they're going to look at this creation, this map that you made, and they're just going to love every bit of it and every single pencil stroke on it is going to make them just enticed with curiosity and they're mm-hmm. going to want to explore every inch of that map and uh honestly it really rarely ever works out that way yeah i mean i i i have to say this and it's it honestly is kind of a shock and that is is that <laughs> you make this map for your table mm-hmm it is not like 50 other people are going to play this map and then one day someone's going to report an Easter egg that they found yeah. that you had left in there. And then your players are going to be like, oh, man, we missed that. That's never going to happen. Yeah. Well, yeah. it could, but it's unlikely. Right, right. Until you write that into a module and publish it on, you know, drive through RPG and have it in there as a note for some DM, like, who who eventually puts it into the story. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean the, the thing you the thing you can't miss is that um you want to remember that your story is always right where your players are. Yes. You know. And so you might have this vast world all mapped out and it may look phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean like you know, Critical Role has some professionally made maps. I'm I'm going to say this and it's I I will I will bleep myself but bleep them okay. for that. I I somewhat hate that professionalism. Because it's an expectation of professionalism at the same time as it makes everyone else look like crap. It's an extension of the Mercer effect. Yeah, sure. It is. It but, is. But at the same time, though, I and I and I will say this again, because it's topical. It's true. Matt Mercer ain't shit. It's true. Okay. The, nothing they are doing. Yeah, okay. They, they do it to a professional level because they have a budget. Correct. Okay. And graphic artists. All they did. Yeah. Well, but they didn't even make those in-house. Mm-mm. Those were outsourced, and they and they gave publicity to the person who professionally yes. does this right. as a side business. They yeah. make fantasy maps. Mm-hmm. You describe your world to them, you give them a rough sketch, and they will turn it into something that. gorgeous. And they're out there on Patreon. No good. I, I've looked into it. Yeah, I've been interested for a long time. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, though, you've got great map making software like Incarnate. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, uh, gosh, a bunch of them are, are, are skipping my, my imagination right now. Um, uh, Dungeon Fog, uh, but and, and Dungeon Draft are all kind of more tactical map. Um, stuff. Yeah, but uh, there are a few hex ones as well. Yeah, there's there's one or two others that especially for like you know overland maps. Like if mm-hmm. you want to draw like your continent. You well, know. there's old campaign cartographer that campaign still exists. Cartographer, that's the one I was. That thinking one of, yeah. that is. Literally an ancient oh, relic, a relic that has been yeah. around and is is still kicking quite hard and for does, those of us who who believe in it. <laughs> does uh, World Anvil have? Yes, World Anvil does have something in it. Has some map making. I, again, I I have to do a deep dive on that. I've right. been wanting to. I really need to get back and to to taking a look at that. But like with with those things at your fingertips and a little bit of creativity and and I'll and I'll talk about map making in a, in a, in a minute here. Cause we're, we're, we're getting to that. Cause I know the, a bunch of you were probably having the same visceral reaction as I talk about drawing your own maps mm-hmm. that Rob did a few weeks ago mm-hmm. that actually spawned this entire topic. 
Yeah. Um, and I will say, and this is why we're going to talk about environmental storytelling and not artistry, because it ain't artistry. I'll no. tell you right now. Um, but where was I going with this? Uh, you know, you can you can have this really super visually grabbing map and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and and it's that's great because a picture is worth a thousand words. Right. Absolutely, it makes it feel so immersive. But your story is where your characters are. Right. Okay. And so, even if I show you what the rest of the world looks like, it literally doesn't matter. No. One bit. Mm-mm. If we don't ever go there. Correct. And your map only matters in so much as, okay, so how far away is that town that we that we know we need to go to because the big bad evil guy said that that's where his henchmen were? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about 50 miles. You can see it here on the map. Oh, I see. we got to go through the forest first. Yep. Yeah. And that's it. Your map is put away at that point. Like, mm-hmm. it's done. They're really not as big. They, they're, they're a great resource, but they're not as important as you think they probably are. Right. Um, but like you were saying though, you don't ever want your map to become a substitute for interaction with the narrative. No. And this I've seen a lot with like the, the tactical maps in, especially things like Foundry and stuff, Mm -hmm. um, where people are adding like all sorts of like automated processes through plugins and whatnot to essentially turn their Foundry map into a video game. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking or, to myself... Or an advanced board game, effectively. Yeah, I'm like, why is any of this automated? Why would you want your characters to be into interact with a shopkeeper and to be able to purchase things that automatically get added to their, to their character list and stuff like that, and it deducts the gold? Like, aren't you role-playing your shopping experiences? Some people don't. I mean... At that point, you're not really playing the same game. Yeah. I mean, it's not for what we're talking about. Right, At that right. point, you're not storytelling so much as you're building dungeons. You're going back to original D&D. Yeah, and, and look, and that's, Again. that's, your fun is not wrong. Correct. That is a way to play Dungeons and Dragons. 100%. And if you are enjoying that, then I 100%. But we are storyteller conclave. Yeah. Not scripted animation, or a scripted automation conclave. You Correct. Know? So, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're at the other end of the scale. Uh, there are definitely shows for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there, and there are definitely resources. So, all right. I'm opening the floor to you. Environmental storytelling. What does map making and environmental storytelling have to do with each other? Well, Rob, I'm glad you asked. I know. I know. Um, all right. So, first off, going back to what, in, what environmental storytelling is. Now, we, we told you that whole story about maps to tell you this. <laughs> True. Um. Environmental storytelling is using clues in your environment to show evidence of a story unfolding there without actively describing the story itself. Um, So, for example, uh, and this is something I actually did in one of my games, oddly specific example. uh, You walk into the treasure room of a dungeon. There are three chests along the far wall. One chest stands open, and it appears to be empty. One chest, the chest next to it, is also open, but the glitter of gold shines from within, apparently still filled with treasure. In front of the chest, a charred corpse lies on the ground, its upper half burnt to a crisp and nearly unrecognizable. The bottom half is relatively undamaged and is wearing leather leg armor. Near the corpse is a dagger and a set of scorched thieves' tools. The third chest sits seemingly unopened and undisturbed. Now, I have described an environment to you. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what happened in that room? A guy opened a chest and died. Yeah, probably a flame trap on that on that second chest that he didn't make. Yeah. And it cooked him. Yeah. So, um, 
We all know that's what happened. But I never told you that's what happened. Right. I gave you the environment. You piece those clues together yourself. Right. Now, that's just one example. But you can do this on a much uh, – you can do this on any scale, okay? Mm-hmm. Because the thing about maps is that they're only ever showing you, like, a snapshot of what that place looks like at this moment. Or mm-hmm. at least at the moment the map was made. Truth. Um, And – so you can actually communicate a lot of information about the environment, um, about the countryside, mm-hmm. about the politics of a kingdom, yeah, about the history of yep. the location you're in um, through environmental storytelling. And the greatest thing about it is it saves you from having to lore dump. I would okay, okay. I would I, agree with that. I did not have to explain a damn thing about that thief that got killed by a uh, by a flame trap. Nope. But you can discern a couple things about him. You know, yeah. um, you you might search him and find a few more things. Again, I'm not going to tell you he had whatever allegiance is, but if you sign, if you find something in his pocket with a certain symbol on it, mm-hmm. you might say, oh, maybe he was a member of the thieves guild, or maybe he belonged to this. Uh, this church that worships the god of thieves or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are all ways of telling these stories without having to be like, okay, so in back in history, 500 years ago, blah, 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 blah. That's boring. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to sit through a history lesson like that. That's the reason I never made it through Tolkien, mm-hmm. you know, because there was just too much of that. Um, so when you are creating maps, mm-hmm told you we'd come back to that always when you were creating maps um like i said they're they're a snapshot of an area at the time that that map is made all sorts of details can glean from them so for instance i'm gonna put some ruins on my map okay cool maps ruins dd campaign makes sense yeah what are they ruins of it's a good question why are they ruined and not an active civilization now. What what happened to make them ruins? Mm-hmm. Uh, what function did that structure have? How would that structure have logically been laid out if it were a functional building? Mm-hmm. You know, um, was it a temple? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what would a temple look like? Now, what would a ruined temple look like? Mm-hmm. Take out some of the walls, take off the roof, things like that. There's your ruins. What ruined it? Mm-hmm. That's another big thing. Um, a temple that's been lost to the ravages of time and just forgotten about and left to decay looks far different from something that got hit with a boulder in a, uh, in a, in a, in a major battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if something's hugely smashed in and there's a giant crater and a, in a, and a boulder lying in the middle of it, well, now you've got more environmental storytelling. Truth. You know, I don't, I'm not telling you that thing got hit by a meteor, but maybe it got hit by a meteor, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, So, you know, was it reclaimed by nature? Was it a sudden traumatic event? Um, you know, if if you're in a city, how old is this city? Uh, is it a bustling boom town that practically sprang up overnight? Or is it an old bastion uh, with, with a long history to it? What was it originally before it was first founded? Because mm-hmm. most cities don't just spring up. They're a port right. or they're a trading post or they're a fort. Or they're a temple or something like that built in a significant location. Um, and then civilization builds up and builds up and builds up around them. So it's it's good to know some of these things. 
And no, I'm not saying you need to immediately know these things once you start penning a map. Like, these are some big questions. Mm-hmm. But I would say have them at least in the back of your mind, you know? The other thing that I'm going to add to this. Sure. And this is, this is, this gets to honest map making mm-hmm. now at this point. So I'm not so much talking about tactical. I'm talking larger than tactical, which are kind of, which we're addressing for the most part here, is that maps that are being made are usually made either for someone or by someone for a very specific purpose. Mm-hmm. It's rare that someone just builds a generic map that has everything on it. Mm-hmm. So that's why sometimes you you really want to start your mind frame is what am I putting on here is important and why and who is it important to? Yeah. So that when your players yeah. are looking at this map, they're seeing it through that lens. Mm-hmm. You know, is this a general map of the county? Who is it for? A duke? Does that make his little town look a little bigger than all the other towns? Mm-hmm. Maybe the farmsteads around it are all labeled, but the ones that are, you know, two, three days later are just a town. The farmsteads around them aren't marked. Mm-hmm. You know, so that you're not only telling a story about the contents of the area that the players are going to, but also... But the map itself tells a story. Correct. Yep. So that you're... You're you're bringing the map into the narrative in a way that is meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my uh, favorite things that I saw when I was going through the Star League maps mm-hmm. was that uh, for uh, BattleTech, for, for, Battle yeah. for specifically for BattleTech, was the difference in the maps. Mm-hmm. One of the maps that I saw was built by Com- most of the maps we see are done by Comstar, mm-hmm. and it's very clear that they're done by Comstar. Because Comstar is the center of the map, all of their stuff is very clearly defined, <laughs> and all the factions are very clearly defined at the time, and it's dated. They're Space AT&T. They, they are the information network. Correct. So it makes sense that theirs would be very detailed and very precise. But if you follow the map for House La- Liao, mm-hmm. it is very focused. You can very much see where they've invaded. <laughs> What they've lost and will retake, because those worlds are a different color. Yeah. Mm. Fourth succession war, still uh, still too soon. A little, little, little too soon. But you can see their capitals, mm-hmm. effectively, where their, where their positions of power are, and what important Comstar locations they have mm-hmm. that must be defended it without question. You can probably also see, like, the hostile Davian front... It's bright and red and obvious. And red, yes. Yeah. Red, because it's a clear and present threat. Correct. And that's red, a... not typically a, a color associated with the Federated Suns, either. No, like, no. Typically, they're, they're, more on, they're more on the map in blue. Right. Or, or gold. But, which Comstar was very nice to make, uh-huh. you know. But, and that's the whole thing, is, is that always identify the perspective. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if, you're, if your map is of the land for a duke and he is not near the sea the coastline is going to be defined mm-hmm. but there's not going to be major port cities and 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 the fishing areas and what monsters are in the sea or even islands for that matter yeah they're not going to give two poots about that mm-hmm. on the other hand if this map comes from a sea captain and is the sailing routes between two major continents 
those are going to be very well-defined. The waterways are going to be exceptionally well-defined, and the land is going to be kind of minuscule. <laughs> What's over here? I don't know, a forest or something. Yes. <laughs> so always think about perspective mm-hmm. because it helps you scope down what is important. Right, right. Because a lot of times we go macro and we have to put all of the important information out there. You don't, number you don't. one. You don't. You, if it's important to you, put it somewhere else. Now, see, actually, the, and, and I'm glad I'm glad. not only did you bring up Battletech, but you also brought up macro scale undetailed maps because that was yeah. one of the things we were discussing earlier was how much you can actually still tell environmental storytelling from the map of the Inner Sphere in Battletech mm-hmm. just by where the colored blobs of territory go. Yes. You know, so... You see a big blue blob. That blob is the Lyran Commonwealth. Okay, cool. Except there is like a gigantic red blob that kind of stabs into it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oof, that, that didn't used to be the border, did it? Nope. That that big that big red stab is... Those are enemies, aren't they? Yes. Yep. Right right there is when he realized he effed up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can... But, but by looking how some of the borders are odd mm-hmm. some you, you can see you know uh, uh, certain blobs of territory impinging on other blobs or maybe joining up with other blobs in in odd places um and we're literally talking about colored oblong shapes encompassing dots that represent you know habitable worlds um in 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 a, a grand space and galaxy that's that's literally it I mean, we're not getting down to any, you know, trade routes or anything like that. Nothing like that is on this map. It's literally just colored shapes. But even just looking at those, how they interact with one another in this and on this map, you can tell. You can tell who's had territory taken from them by other other territories around them. You can infer from that that those two people probably don't like each other very much. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, okay, well, what's the fact? What's what's the story between this faction and that faction? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, these these guys over here are a little independent bubble on the corner of this other larger faction. How are they still independent? You know. Well, and that was the other thing is is that sometimes you can also show where things have been conquered by the names or symbols. Legends are important on a map. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you've got something that looks like there's a keep here, there's a keep here, there's a keep here. You know, that are clearly defined and taking, you know, are, are, are covering these areas and they have names that are representative of that land. Mm-hmm. You know, Duke Elling's cat, you know, keep uh, Lord Romano's keep and whatever. Yet two of those guys keeps are now under the control of another group and have been renamed. So the name is scratched off and there's a new name in there. Yep. Gives you a lot of feeling of like, oh, this war has not been going well. That's why, uh, like, when I, uh, uh, Star, Trek, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine was was always my favorite. Yeah. And every time Gul Dukat would come aboard, he would refer to the station as Tarak Nor. Right. It's like, oh, how's Tarak Nor doing? And like, oh, Deep Space Nine is doing wonderfully. Just fine. Thanks, yeah. buddy. We, we took this. Thank you. Go, go away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Not yours anymore. Yeah. But it's but Istanbul, that... not Constantinople. <laughs> <laughs> But just that one line, though, again, kind of alludes to its history. Like, yeah. sometimes you kind of forget that it's a Cardassian space station, you know? Yeah. And and it it, 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 it refreshes that memory of, like, uh, yeah, it's not a Federation facility, in mm-hmm. spite of how many Federation people are there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So let's talk a little bit about tactical and battle maps, too, okay, because okay. Um, this kind of comes to the crux of what brought us to talking about this in the first place, was uh, Rob and I had a conversation where um, he said, uh, yeah, I'm having some problems putting together tactical maps for my game. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what's the problem? You've got Dungeon Draft, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, but I'm not a good artist. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, ho, 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 Rob. I'm smug. I mean, uh, <laughs> you are. I, I am smug, but that's not the point. I said, that's the good news. It's not art. You don't have to be a good artist. If you have a map making tool like Dungeon Fog or Dungeon Draft, Incarnate, there's a number of them we mentioned earlier. It's just environmental storytelling. And you said, what? And I said, yes, let me show you. So um, here's the thing. You are making a tactical map because something important is happening there, mm-hmm. right? So for you, it was the big gates in front of the sealed-off orc kingdom. Mm-hmm. For me, it was the old alien ruins um, of a crypt that now served as the headquarters for a gang of necromancers. Mm-hmm. Okay? So we already know the story behind these locations because we're good storytellers Mm -hmm. and we've written a very rich description of these things Mm -hmm. we know why these things are here we know what function they serve etc etc um what it was used for why it was built what is it now what has it been repurposed from um if it's been repurposed from a past function how are those changes affected the environment Mm -hmm. we know all of these things Mm -hmm. and we're going to write a word description of them anyway right maybe not i mean maybe maybe not sometimes in our narration whatever but at least in our mind's eye yeah we we know what they look like right right and we know if we were playing without pictures and without tactical maps you would still have to describe the location to 100 percent. so just draw what you're going to describe and every time you've said that, it has never been easy for me. It sounds really difficult, but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be like, well, the room is 60 foot wide by 80 feet foot deep. Hey, great. We're already drawing on a grid. Just draw that box. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. What's the floor like in here? Is it stone? Okay, select a stone texture off of your mm-hmm. texture's grid. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now you've got a 60 by 80 stone floor. To- We're halfway there. Mm-hmm. Okay. What else is in here? Uh, there's some pillars. Cool. Search in your assets for pillar. Mm-hmm. Find one that looks roughly the same. Right. Where are the pillars? Here, 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 and here. All right, cool. What else is in there? Oh, there's wall sconces. Cool. Mm-hmm. Not only do these things have wall sconces as in their assets, but they've got some lighting, too. Yeah. How bright are those wall sconces? We right. can tweak that, too. Do they you flicker know? a color? You know. Yeah, exactly. Are they like like in mine, they were blue because they're made with magical crystals. Mm-hmm. You know, not they're not they're not flames. Mm-hmm. So but you just go through each and every one of these things. Okay. So like in my dungeon, um uh for instance, um I had a tomb that mm-hmm. had been repurposed as a bandit hideout. Yes. Okay. So um the layout should be like a tomb. Unless the bandits have dug new tunnels. So essentially what I'm making is not a bandit hideout, I'm making a tomb. Right. Now, if they have dug new tunnels, that's cool. Absolutely put those in there. But they shouldn't look like the tomb. And again, that's more environmental storytelling, because you're going to have these rough-hewn tunnels right. cut out of what is essentially a ceremonial stone tomb. Right. Okay. 
So that's just more environmental storytelling. This place does not look like that place. Therefore, we can discern certain things from our environment. Right. Um, okay, so now we've got bandits living in this old abandoned tomb, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what would they need to live there? A place to eat? Mm-hmm. Supplies. A place to sleep? place to store their supplies, maybe some sort of latrine or chamber pots or something like that. Um, all the basic stuff that you will need to live, essentially. Right. Okay. So, um, then it also begs the question of what did they do with all the old tomb stuff? Because, I mean, tombs aren't necessarily known for just being giant 60 by 80 empty rooms. You know, there's going to be like sarcophagi in there. There's going to be a bunch of skeletons and maybe some decorations, maybe some statues, memorials to the to the people who are buried there. As well as things that they left. Yeah, People, exactly. you know, might have brought in memorial of and or offerings. Mm-hmm. So like in, in mine, for instance, mm-hmm. I had one room that was filled with sarcophagi. Mm-hmm. I had the room next to it was also filled with sarcophagi, but every one of those was pushed up against the wall to essentially clear the floor space. Which was covered in, like, there was a campfire built in the middle, a bunch of little bedrolls strewn all over the place, some boxes and crates with food in them. Mm -hmm. It was their little living quarters. Mm -hmm. I had a table with some cards set up on it, like they were just killing some time. Mm -hmm. Um, All of these things are great little bits of environmental storytelling for you. Mm -hmm. They they show how a tomb became a bandit hideout. Right. And none of that was anything i had to draw no if you're making if you're using a map making um uh, piece of software like i use dungeon fog to make mine right built right into it there are asset packs that and have like that are growing search for sarcophagus do you want the open sarcophagus or the closed sarcophagus yeah would you like an egyptian looking one or european looking one and i ended up going back to the patrons that i had mm-hmm. uh, paid with uh, paid for and got their assets as well, yeah. which I keep adding to mine. And they all have very different art styles. Yeah. So sometimes I end up mixing art styles, but mm-hmm. whatever. But one way or another, though, it's it's not difficult for you as a storyteller who says that you're not a good artist to go in and just be like, okay, well, there's some rocks over here. And that's all you need to know. There's some rocks over here. Are they large rocks or small rocks? Right. And then you've got assets that match those things, and you can put them in. Mm-hmm. You can move them around. You can delete them. You can uh, change their shape, their, their rotation, their color. Yep. And you don't have to draw a single thing. Yeah, I think my problem comes into because I've now I felt I feel like I've gotten better at doing my tactical maps without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, you I, have absolutely. I think my challenge comes into wanting to try and figure out better ways to handle more macro imagery. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to move to, like you have with uh, finding still art mm-hmm. that achieves the same goals and still gives me the same environmental storytelling without breaking the immersion of the world that I've created. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's always a challenge, especially for interiors. Exteriors, you can find forests and mountains and things that yeah. fit well enough. Yeah, definitely. But finding, like, I need to find a Romanesque-looking city that doesn't have humans in it. Right, without cars. Without cars in, like, <laughs> that isn't some ancient art. 
So mixing different art forms to get what I want is sometimes a challenge. It is a dig to do that. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's a lot less effort than hand-building a tactical map that I'm never going to be using for tactical stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It makes a huge difference. Now, that being said, there are some mapping programs that are very robust that let you basically do effectively Minecraft-style building at speed mm-hmm. um, in 3D. Oh, well. Um, I was actually just... I, I ended up getting in the Kickstarter for one um, that I was just looking at again, and I, I may end up doing a Patreon video for it just to kind of show it off a little bit okay. yeah. um, once I feel a little more comfortable with it. But the idea of it is is that it's it in the end, you can have players play on the map as well with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to buy into it. But you can also just use it as art to do snapshots. Hmm. So you can build up what you're doing and show things off with proper lighting and models. And it looks very much like a tabletop game. It's not Tailspire, is it? No, but Tailspire was the other one that I was going to say. Yeah. Is, is the more popular one that's still kind of in beta, but does a great job of that. I'm in the Kickstarter on that one. Yeah. So I've been And it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. And I think that one's what, like 25 bucks a head or something like that? Uh, I don't remember what the cost of it is, no. Sorry. But between those, those two kind of things, you can do a lot of uh, very quick building using their assets mm-hmm. to build a, a an image of what you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that. I think that is a fantastic way of doing it. One of the things that I actually submitted on mine uh, when I was doing the beta was uh, I wanted the uh, a button to be able to do green screen background. Oh, so yeah. So that if I have this image and I want to snapshot it, and then take and drop in a new image for the background, for the backdrop. Right, like, I right. want mountains back there. I want whatever. And I actually got a message back from the devs like, that's a fantastic idea. We have to figure out how we want to do that because with our lighting and our effects, it looks weird. We tried it, and mm-hmm. it, it doesn't quite work with what we're doing, but there's got to be a way for us to make this work. Either yeah. you can put the art in and then play with the image a little bit to make it fit where it needs to be in, in like, screen cap mode or whatever. Mm-hmm. But... It it just it adds that layer of I don't want to use this as a tactical map, but I need to show it off to my players and have them move through it. Yeah, absolutely. And I want it to have the art that fits. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's a great idea. You want to get to some questions? Yeah, yeah, we got a couple good questions here and some silly ones. I, right. I think it's a good time for it. Go ahead and grab one. Uh, so Knox says, for physical maps, uh, what are some of your favorite materials to use to get certain textures and shades? What are ones that you try to avoid? Um, and <laughs> silly bonus question. Would you ever use spray or potpourri to make your forest maps actually smell like a forest? <laughs> now, let's start with the beginning of this because that second one is a fantastic idea in its own right. Um, when I did... I, I uh, It's been a long time since I've built... It's been a while, been a while. since I've done uh, physical maps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always liked the idea of using... Uh, aged paper or burnt paper for mm-hmm. doing like sea maps and pirate maps oh, and yeah, tea yeah. staining and yeah. things like that. I like that you texture, you, you know, gotta. giving them a little roll so that they have to be unrolled, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. I've always liked that. Um, uh, I would say for me getting uh, textures and shades and stuff on physical maps has always been a challenge. I'm not, I'm not a good physical artist, so I don't know. But the one thing that I did learn was watercolors are your friend. Uh, oh, watercolors are great, yeah. Uh, because you can let things bleed, and it mm-hmm. it looks good when they layer. Yeah, 
So yeah, uh, watercolors are great. Um, uh, I have always been very fond of using a mid-tone paper, hmm. uh, like a newsprint. Yeah, and um, using white and black. Uh, on it okay uh, a white colored pencil usually with some black ink mm-hmm. um i've also done uh there are uh uh gray artist's markers mm-hmm. that you can get as well in in various shades yeah. uh, to add some some of that but i, I love i love using the mid-tone as my mid-shade and then adding highlights and, and shade to it which makes sense um it's really cool when you can add like with white colored pencil add the snow caps on your mountains mm-hmm and have it really stand out. Yeah, really, really pops that way. Yeah. Um, I I kind of read this question a little bit differently. Okay. Actually, uh, physical maps I I read to not be a uh, a drawn flat piece of paper, mm-hmm. but rather more like the terrain table, which we can definitely step into. Um, favorite materials to use there. Um, uh, uh a big thing, a fifty pound bag of uh play sand mm-hmm. is your best is your best friend. Yep. Because it will last you forever, mm-hmm. and it gives a, a grit texture on everything. Um, and uh, recently, I made a terrain table for you. Yes, that I used crackle paste on, which worked fantastically to get mud cracked or dried mud cracked earth. Yep, on uh, and that worked wonderfully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as for potpourri uh, to make my forest map smell like a forest. I'm not sure that would smell like a forest as much as it would smell like my grandmother's bathroom. Right. Uh, the other thing that I would say is foam. Giant foam blocks like the pink foam. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and or the green foam that you'd get for uh, floral arrangements. Uh, the two reasons why I liked both of those when I was doing physical stuff mm-hmm. was you can physically carve the pink foam. Yeah. Um, which also insulation foam works just as well mm-hmm. uh, with a hot knife and get really cool boulders very simply. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, uh, green foam that's used for um, floral displays—you mm-hmm. can press into it and leave divots. Yeah. So you can make padded. You can do like smaller, tough little boulders versus blocky things. So you can get a lot. Plus, you can uh, f- uh, um, not sand it, but basically flake affect it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it uh, it tends to turn into tiny bushes. Mm-hmm. Which is another a great way, and you can get, use it as a texture. So they're very like because grass texture from like a model store is expensive. Uh, it's not that expensive. Well, if you go along with the stuff that requires you to use static grass and the static thing and doing static stuff. Oh, okay, okay. To okay. get those effects, you like, could go a little crazy. You you can go crazy. But you shouldn't. Right. But what I'm saying is, is there are always lesser things you can do. There's nothing to say that you can't use a, a ground grass, like I was saying, like off of, off of a foam that's already green and just glue it to a surface and that's grass good enough. Yeah. I've, I've seen people who literally take like uh, green sponges mm-hmm. and uh, put them in their blenders and make, you know, pounds upon pounds of, of, of flocking. Mm-hmm. Just for basically for free, almost. Yeah. Also, sponges are great for uh, small small bushes and stuff. Small as well. bushes and shrubs. Little, yeah. Yeah. Little, little clumps of foliage and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff you can like household items you can turn into terrain that look amazing. Just because their color is one thing, that's just a spray can away from changing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And 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 start with any basic shading tutorial on YouTube, and they will teach you the same techniques to get go from primary colors into a shading to make it look like what it needs to in three steps yeah yeah and absolutely. then you could go crazy with it but honestly if they're only going to glance at it because it's a rock follow those three steps and it will always look good 
there's uh, there's a lot of good crafting tutorials on on YouTube as well. Um, mm-hmm. Black Magic Craft is the first oh, one that comes to yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think like uh, DM Scotty is mm-hmm. another one. Yeah, uh, he does there's more... a Terrain Master, but I, I'm getting that one wrong. Uh, who I watch all the time because his stuff is just incredible. Yeah, yeah, and and like like uh, like I said, you can like uh, Luke Luke uh, Luke's APS too. Yes, uh, affordable painting service or something. Yeah, Luke's APS. Um, yep. Uh, I love watching Luke, um, but you get to keep in mind that some of the people that you're going to find on YouTube are, like, professionals, mm-hmm. and they do go crazy building, like, gigantic 12-foot boards and stuff like that that are hyper-photorealistic and whatnot. You can go that route, but, like, don't get intimidated, you know? Yeah, don't don't feel that you have to go to that level. There's There's always levels of painting that even the master painters will always say, like, this is great painting here. Right. You don't have to spend the next six hours painting. And like most of the time too, when when you are doing physical maps like that, you're you're just you're just trying to get the idea across. Mm-hmm. Like again, you don't have to make it you know photorealistic railway, you know, uh, uh, you know, perfect to scale, you know, yeah. sort of stuff. Um, like you you did some phenomenal castle interior terrain out of cardboard and printed paper. Yeah, that was no, glued to it. It worked great. And I still have them, and I will continue to use them. It's phenomenal, yeah. and and it made it like instant. We could we could tell what you were trying to convey. To yeah, us and, and th- like that. that guy's pages are amazing. Mm-hmm. All of his stuff is effectively free. It's pay what you want, and I I paid for all of it. I think it cost me eleven dollars to get eleven PDFs. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's been phenomenal. I love it, and I literally have more cardboard waiting for the next thing that I need to do with it, just so that I'm prepared. Yep. Yep. Can't beat that kind of stuff. Nox says, see, my problem with 3D modeling projects is wasting time adding details that nobody will notice, but I know they're the, they'll be there. It's an obsessive personal standard thing. Obsess yeah. on getting it done. There's the whole image, and then work your way to your to your minor obsessions. Yeah, yeah. Get, get it get it table ready, and then add neat neat Easter eggs to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your your car's exterior might look amazing in the chrome, perfectly polished. But if you open the door and it's full of McDonald's discards and you know fry wrappers and uh, it smells like you just got done at the you know uh, after a sixteen hour drive. That that car is still dirty. Yes. The car is still filthy. No yes. one's going to want to sit in it. So start by finishing the entire project at a base level and then raise it all. Yes. Yes. So, so that way, if you do run out of time, it's at least still table ready. Exactly. Um, exactly. All right. So Overwatch asks, have you had a campaign with a map that looked that really hooked your players or one where they glossed over it and never really got into it at all? And what do you think the key difference in those scenarios was? Um, I will say that you built an amazing bridge map. <laughs> I mean, that was a physical thing. I'm, I think it's we're, still I a map. referring more to, yeah. But I'm saying it was an amazing map. That's fair. That's fair. I'm sorry that we didn't spend two hours of combat on it. I'm not. I get, I, to, I get to reuse all those I, pieces. I understand. It's still sitting understand. in my basement. Um, but that's the one that sticks out the most for a physical one for me. Um... Gosh, I'm trying to think of a, a map that either hooked or didn't. I'm trying to think of a map that hooked in uh, any of my stuff. I I ran a uh, a homebrew campaign back like in uh, late high school, early college. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the one that I played in D and D Fifth Age. Okay, and uh, I did a whole map for it. Okay, and uh, I stippled the entire thing. Wow! With a like point two millimeter 
uh, artist. Like, yeah, I mean, it took me a while. It took me like a week to draw that map, but I was young and full of spit and vinegar sure. and uh, utterly determined to make it look cool. Um, it was originally drawn on hex paper. Ooh. But uh, I didn't like the hard edges. I didn't. I didn't like the video gamey feel of it. So I, um, I kind of traced over it to make the the coastlines and stuff of that a lot more fluid looking. Mm-hmm. It still looked blobby and video gamey, but you know, sure. To me, in high school, it looked awesome. Right. Um. And then yeah, I went through and I converted like every single one of the the forests was done with little tiny points. Oh wow! Just tapping the pen on the paper. To get the result, to get and, and and keeping them consistent, so I got the right texture for it. You know, um, drew in all the mountains and everything like that. Uh, it was pretty impressive for the time. I'll see if I can dig it up. I'll find. You should. It for you. you should. Um, and uh, and then I took it to Kinko's and I blew it up into a poster, twenty four by thirty six poster. Nice. Uh, and and brought that into game one day, and nice. it really knocked knocked everybody's socks off. I I would have to say the best map that I used. I was working, I was, it was, yeah, I was very young. Um, I was working with my mom at the hospital that she worked at Mm -hmm. and she was, they were doing some redesign of her floor, uh, at one point and, uh, the wing that she was working in, uh, which was, uh, being used for education and training basically. Okay. Um, and so she got blueprints and so, she had these extra blueprints in here on when it was done. I'm like, are you doing anything with these? She's like, no, they're extra and they're, they're all, all this was redone. I'm like, can I take these? Cause I looked at him. The first thing I thought of was this looks like the interior of a space station. Oh, neat. Like the, it had these giant hallways and then these little corridors, which could very well be air ducts and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And my brain went to, this is Robotech. Uh-huh. You know, this is a Zentradi station, and you need to fight into this. And I used it for that, oh, and it was man. fantastic. I've always wanted to do that. So, uh, and the players liked it. They really did. And I I, tweet, I I just brought it as the map that they had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I filled in details as they found things. Can you think of a time that a map ever fell flat for you? <sighs> Not one that I put a lot of effort in. Yeah. I will flat I... out say one, anything that I put effort into came back to me as a good thing, but anything else... And I think that that might be the takeaway from this, too. Yeah. Like, if you put effort into a map, you'll you'll get stuff out of it. Like, you'll, you know, it'll... Even, it, it's very rare that it'll fall flat. My one that didn't actually show up to the players. My oh. tactical <laughs> map that failed. There we go. There you go. There you go. Yep. Absolutely. So. All right. All right. So next week's topic is our anniversary episode, where yes. we've been and what's to come for uh, for Storyteller Conclave. It's going to be a bit of a bit of a chatty episode, bit of a retrospective episode. Yeah, I think we'll be talking a lot about where we've been and and maybe where we're going to go. Do you want to do you want to open up a uh, live chat for everybody? Yeah, my to, I, to, you know, to everybody, not that. not just Patreons. Yeah, so if you guys are listening to this and you want to join us in the live chat next week, we will crack that egg for yeah, everyone else. Yeah, come so. join us. Join us up on our Discord and uh, join us in the live chat. It's gonna be uh, gonna be a lively uh, lively discussion. So you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave on Instagram at st underscore conclave, uh, mixlr on Wednesday nights that you're hearing right now if you're listening to us at mixlr.com slash storyteller conclave at 7 p.m. Eastern. You can find our link for our Discord on our Twitter page uh, or up on our website at uh, storytellerconclave.com. We invite all of our listeners to go to our Twitter, our Instagram, and our Facebook page now 
and like and comment on all the wonderful posts that we're starting to put up now. You should start seeing those links, and we really, really would love the traction. Uh, I want to thank all of our Patreon members, as always, especially Knox in the Box, Sam, Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulavu. Thank you for supporting the uh, show week after week. Our pre-show music was by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Gay Frog. You can find that at geefrogmusic.weebly.com. And our outro music, which you're hearing now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash midairmachine slash tracks. We'd like to thank our families especially Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for your support on the last two years. Um, we'd also like to thank our friends who helped us at our tables, who've dealt with our terrible games and our wonderful games, and all of you, our listeners. We thank you so much and love you. We love you. Good night. Good night.